Now, in my experience, growth usually comes from a source of pain or discomfort, which pushes you to try something new or interrupt an old behavior simply because you come to realize that the pain of remaining the same, of remaining who you are and where you are, is far greater than the discomfort it's going to take for you to change and try something new. My intention for this show is to inspire growth within you. So if you want to familiarize yourself with the journey many have taken to drastically change their lives, this is the place to be. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Grow With Muin podcast. I am your host, Muin Zafar, and today I have John Thor with me. He is a sales consultant, a videographer, and a keynote speaker uh, who believes that better questions and results in us getting better answers. John, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's always fun. And considering our previous conversations, I'm sure this one will be both one that will be entertaining, but also valuable for anyone listening. Oh, yeah, I'm excited for this. And uh, I deliberately skipped uh, trying to pronounce your last name. <laughs> but uh, I do want to hear you say it. How do you pronounce your last name? So my last name is pronounced Sigurdlifsson. But uh, I can promise you, you're not the first person to skip it. I um, I had a podcast appearance last year where um, we were launching into it and the host with such fervor and passion went, I'm here with John Thor. I should have asked you how to pronounce your last name before starting this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Um, yeah, it's a pretty uh, unique last name. I think uh, you, so you're originally from uh, from Iceland, you mentioned in our last conversation, right? Yes, absolutely. And um, our last names work a little bit differently. So my last name, Sigurdlifsson, literally means that I'm the son of someone called Sigurdleifur. Oh. And it's um, so basically we don't have the traditional family names in the in the fact that if I have a son, he won't have my last name. He'll have my first name and then son. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually in recent years, it's becoming increasingly prevalent that people um, either have um, you know, they have the choice of whether they have their dad's first name, their mom's first name, or some people have both, although the double-barreled last names can get a bit long. Mm. Um, but due to the fact that my dad's first name is very rare back home, um, there's very few people with my exact last name. It's really only um, my two brothers and one other guy who I found when I Googled my last name to find out it was, if there was anyone else. Ah. So your uh, your last name is uh, unique to to you only. Is that is that how it works, or if there's someone else, um, like what will be your father name in it, father's name in this? So uh, Sigurdleifur is his name. So he's right. he's Sigurdleifur. So I'm Sigurdleifur's son. Ah, gotcha, um, gotcha. But like his dad's name was Christian, so he's mm-hmm. Christian's son. Ah, okay. Wow, I didn't know that. What a great piece of culture. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about your origin story. Um, so right now, so you uh, you're a consultant. Uh, you work remotely. You work face to face with uh, other organizations, other businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go speak at events. Um, so before all of this, how did uh, how did uh, this all start for you? This uh, freelance working, being a consultant. What were you before this and uh, what made you uh, basically make the push into this uh, unique sort of uh, career? 
So I guess um, part of it's always been there. So, you know, my my sort of entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, was awakened at a young age when I remember my friend and I, when we were in elementary school, we found um, some, like we found a football and a couple of things outside that no one seemed to have claimed. It was just sort of lying around. And I remember we went to a friend of ours we knew played a lot of football and basically went, hey, do you want to buy this football off us? Hmm. Um, and he bought it off us. And I thought, man, that was that was pretty easy. Yeah. I wonder if like and admittedly finding stuff outside and then selling it isn't the greatest <laughs> business model as we quickly found. Um but it's still I think when I think back that was one of the first things that sparked something like that for me and again later on when I was about 16 I was in my student council and we were looking for sponsors for like year end events for our uh, graduating class and I went okay I'll just I'll put on a suit. I'll go to some local uh, businesses and I'll have some conversations, see what happens. And mm-hmm. just that mindset, and I guess the success I had utilizing that mindset first in those elements, and then in in art. You know, I did freelance writing and uh, music and acting and modeling from the age of about you know fifteen, sixteen up until twenty three, twenty four. Wow, um, and that taught me more about um, the entrepreneurial side than anything else has because it taught me how to be quite, um, I guess, careful when it came to things like contracts, how pushy and determined you have to be to get payment when you're a freelancer. Mm. Um, It taught me that it's always good to stand by your own resolve and say, no, I will not pay, uh, play for a pay for play, you know? Um, so it's quite common in the art world that they say, Oh, you know, you can open for this band, but you'll have to pay to get on the tour or, uh, oh, you know, we'll, we'll allow you to write this play for our theater. And it's, it's not something that I've ever, um, kind of gone for except in very minuscule, um, I guess a very small percentage of the time when I maybe saw an opportunity and I thought, okay, this is me giving my work away, but I get what I'm come, what, what I'm getting from it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think um, what I learned from that and what I've sort of brought into my current work is that even though I may speak on stage at free events, I, I do so if I, if I know what I'm getting out of it, if that makes sense. Um, right. Because then, if, yeah, sorry? sorry to cut you off. Yeah. So, what do you uh, get out of these uh, pay-for-play events or free events? What's uh, yeah? What's the strategy there? So the strategy there is if I know that I'll be speaking in front of people that I would like to get to know and I would like to get connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's even just um, when you realize that speaking on this stage will get you a certain credibility check i guess so mm-hmm. as an example like no one gets paid to do a ted talk right but people hear you've done a ted talk and they go oh okay you're legit in my eyes now mm. um but but then again if it's something where you know someone's expecting you to travel over a long distance to come and give away a bunch of your work right in order to maybe just benefit them and 
Um, I remember speaking to a, um, a professional motivational speaker when I was first getting into this, um, who basically said, remember that payments can be a lot more than money. Right. And he said things like, you know, is it being broadcast? Is there a pro filming crew around that can film your talk and then give you the footage so that you can repurpose it for your own content? Mm. You know, is it a chance for you to sell whatever it is you're doing. If you publish a book, can you have copies of your book to sell that sort of thing? So knowing what you're getting out of it, even if it isn't strictly monetary mm-hmm. is it's a good mindset to have, but I'd say the default in terms of sort of, um, you know, the sort of for exposure play is the default tends to be no. And it's, I think because I've kind of been burned by that as a, as an artist, but I guess to kind of move away from that and into how I got to where I am now is mm. I took all of that. But then when I moved away from Iceland, I knew that everything that I'd worked to build up there in terms of connections within the art community, that wouldn't be done overnight in a new country. And moving to the UK, I knew it would be a massively competitive um, area for something like that. So the first thing I did was look for a job. And... I happened across this company that um, did technology sales and marketing consultancy. So they worked with some of the biggest tech companies in the world. And I applied to work there as a salesperson, got on board, uh, loved the people I was working with, the culture, the atmosphere, worked my way into a leadership position, moved to Barcelona for a while, Mm. um, came back to the UK and then to Miami for a year, uh, worked my way up higher and higher and then um, came back to the UK um, sort of running the sales operation in their headquarters. No, this was all for the same company. You were traveling. all for the same company, yeah. Oh, okay. um, but working for a load of different clients mm. and um, got a lot of exposure. Learned a hell of a lot from it, but kind of then hit a wall where I felt like not only had I kind of experienced and achieved everything I wanted within that company, but looking around me and above me, I didn't really see people having the life that I wanted. Mm. So, you know, in our previous conversation, I remember we talked about, um, you know, sort of family values, what you want in terms of your personal life and work-life balance. And what I saw from so many people I worked with, and especially above me, were people that, you know, they'd have a kid and they'd take like two days to go home and meet the kid and, you know, congratulate the wife. And then they were back in the office for, you know, 12, 13 hour days. Mm. And I looked at that and thought, that's, that's definitely not what I want when I have a kid. That's not what, um, what I want to sort of model my life after. So to begin with, I started looking at different jobs, but eventually I kind of, it hit me that I didn't necessarily want another job. I wanted to, feel that purpose I felt at the height of working for that company. And I started working with startups as a consultant, helping them speak on stage. I started working with a couple of um, schools and universities and charities in the area and really found that, that purpose again. And I'm now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that um, I'd rule out the possibility of having a job again. Like I'm not one of those people that goes, you know, oh, you're either a purebred entrepreneur or you're not an entrepreneur at all. Like, mm. you know, you do what's right for each period in your life. But I think the point at which I left my previous employer and went self-employed 
it's something I absolutely needed to do. And it's given me a chance to really reconnect with who I am and figure out the priorities for myself and sort of for the life I want to create with my wife and for our you know, future children. Mm, wow. Um, so you were in Iceland and you said you moved to, to the UK mm-hmm. and we discussed this in the last conversation too. But uh, uh, for those of uh, the audience that are listening now for the first time, so why did you make the move from Iceland to the UK? Because changing a country and uh, moving there to essentially live there, that's a, that's a big move. So what, uh, what drove that? Um, so to be honest, I'd always seen myself moving away from Iceland. Um, it had always been something I wanted to do. And I don't know if it's sort of a big fish, small pond uh, mindset of mm. just wanting to explore or whether it's just knowing that um, living in a small place like Iceland is always going to be limiting in some way. Um, mm. I'd, I've been to the UK several times um, with my parents throughout my life because my, my dad has worked in aviation his entire life. So mm. traveling was always a big part of his job. Okay. Um, and coming over here, I remember always thinking of it really fondly, really enjoying my time here. And um, when I was in my uh, early 20s, or sort of around 23, 24, um, I'd, you know, I'd graduated college. I didn't quite know where I wanted to go from there. I started working with people with special needs, as well as the aforementioned sort of artistic endeavors. And my wife and I started talking about the potential of moving to Sweden. Mm. And we found this university that we both really liked in Sweden and um, sent in applications, but it turned out that they stopped taking in international students that year because they were growing a lot and they didn't have housing for people. Okay. So we kind of thought, okay, we've been saving up to, you know, move to do something. We, we need something to shake up, you know, every day life. So, I was running a music blog at the time, one of my many sort of freelancing uh, ventures at the time. And I got press passes to a, a metal festival here in the UK. And we thought, okay, let's just, let's go for that. We'll be there. We'll hang out with some cool musicians, meet some people. It'll be good fun. And we went there and it was just one of the most fun, exciting weekends of my life, meeting some of the people that had inspired me as a musician in the past hanging out with, um, you know, music journalists whose work I, I'd read. Um, and it was incredibly inspiring. But one thing that it inspired that I didn't expect was when we came back to Iceland, my wife started applying for universities in the UK because she thought, actually, I'd, I'd like to move there and try living there. Mm. And this was in August 2014. And she thought, you know, okay, I'll apply and try and, you know, get in for next year. But then a uh, a university reached out and said, actually, if you want to start next month, we've got a place for you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I can, I can say a lot about myself and my wife, but I can say that we're definitely not people who shy away from jumping, jumping in headfirst into opportunity. So when we heard that she could get in at a month's notice, we went, okay, cool. It wasn't about, oh, this is going to be difficult. It was about how do we make this work? So we started looking at every single option that we could find and we made it work, you know, and unfortunately the way we made it work meant that I'd be left behind in Iceland. Um, So 
for the next months, I was working hard there, working shift-based work. I went to film school because I'd already signed up. Um, but very quickly, we realized we did not want to you know, continue to live in separate countries. So um, we decided to get married, and I, sort of, uh, I dropped out of film school. I left my job and moved to the UK and it, it always makes me laugh each year when I get the Facebook memory of the, of the day that I left because the post went something like, hey, if I didn't say goodbye to you, sorry, I must have had other priorities, but yeah, I'm moving away from the country. I've got um, three things planned. I'm going to find somewhere to live, find somewhere to work, and I've got concert tickets to see between the bird and me and Haken at the end of the month. <laughs> and then it said, P.S. My guitar got its own boarding pass. That's quite funny. Um, <laughs> And it's just kind of crazy to me to think back at all the people I've met throughout my life who struggle and wait for, I guess, like it's such a cliche to say this, but that seem to always wait for life to happen to them. Mm. They seem always to be waiting for that perfect opportune moment where everything aligns. And when I look at some of the best decisions and best adventures that I've had in my life, they've they've never come out of everything being perfect all at once it's been i see an opportunity and i know that even if it's a massive failure it's going to be a good story so i go for it right and that's a that's a powerful message i i agree with that too i think that's where i am at now um but i wasn't always there um i think um the sort of catalyst for me to sort of push into uh this sort of uh, philosophy was um, when I found out that I was going to be a father in university and it was an unplanned pregnancy mm-hmm. and it was uh, different cultures, um, different nationalities. So my family was conservative Muslim and uh, my wife was uh, Canadian, uh, who was originally from Colombia. Um, so yeah, that's sort of, uh, needless to say, that was sort of a difficult time for me. But even, even uh, before that, I was... Uh, trying to find the right moment to sort of deliver uh, to my parents sort of a speech on how I I'm not sure of if I want to graduate with uh, what I was studying I was studying human resources at the time Mm. and um, I was just not really motivated to uh, to study it and uh, you know I was just tackling questions which I thought were more important at the time of uh, identity of meaning and purpose and um, I would just, uh, you know, sit around and watch everybody run, uh, you know, one class to another, one job to another job and commute. And it just started to seem a lot mechanical to me. Mm. And uh, yeah, so when I got, uh, you know, this big news of becoming a father, it sort of uh, pushed me to have a conversation with my parents. And and the other things, you know, uh, finding out meaning of uh uh, of life and uh, maybe not wanting to graduate with this degree, this this sort of paled in comparison to what was actually going on. Mm. So once I got uh, you know that uh, um, the huge news out of the door, it opened the gate for many other things that I had on my mind. And from then on, I've taken you know I've 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 dove head first into uh, what I thought was right for me. Um, that. Uh, that started from you know work, uh, getting a job and then not uh, not well. I got a contract to to continue working there after six months, but I didn't take it. 
because I wanted to spend time with my daughter at that time. She was, I think, two, three months. Um, then getting a job again at another bank and working there for three, four months, realizing that it's not working out for me since I'm only getting to see my daughter an hour each day. So quit that job. And I remember having conversations with my colleagues at work over there who, uh, who was discussing, well, there's a bank closer to my home. Should I move there? Will I get it? What's the pay structure is going to be like? Do you guys know anyone who works there? And a lot of people, and there was one guy who, who was working at this bank, um, at CIBC, that's my first bank, uh, for about 10 years. And he says that the bank that I wanted to move to, which was 20 minutes from my house, was actually a five-minute walk from his house. So I sort of asked him, so why didn't you never move? And he gave me you know, reasons X, Y, and Z. But for me, it's, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to sort of move. And um, I did. I, uh, I applied for the job at the bank. I got in. I left my uh, the bank uh, that I was working at before and now I had a 20 minute commute and I was just sort of surprised at um, I, I'm sure everybody has their reasons but if I were to living like you know a five minute walk from my place of work I would apply there <laughs> um, but it's the same thing uh, his reasons were you know he's been working at uh, CIBC for far too long he he might get a pay cut and and you know he's been there for 10 years but this is something that must have been on his mind year after year because that bank was there all the time. And then since he delayed that, um, it's, the decision just becomes more and more difficult because you start to get more and more comfortable. Hey everyone, uncertain times often pop up in our lives and they're often followed by fear. And I was certainly in that place when I was in university and still doing my undergraduate degree. I was an international student and I found out I was going to be a father. That was a really uncertain, scary time for me. And I know I'm not the only one who goes through a situation like that or something similar to that. And so through courageous action, I wrote a book about my experience. It's titled Grow With Your Baby, Seven Lessons on How to Embrace Change and Overcome Your Fears. And on launch day, it reached the number one spot in happiness on Amazon. It was a bestseller. So if you're someone who's going through a difficult spot, if you want to learn or someone who's in a similar spot, Read this book. I wrote it for you. I wrote it because I was at a very low point in my life and I came out the other side. And I wanted to show the world that on the other side of fear, on the other side of adversity and challenges, lies growth and power. But it's, it's funny though, because um, even if we look at statistics, um, if he would have gone down the purely logical route, not even looking at the emotional decision of wanting to you know, live closer to work mm. or work closer to home rather. Um, there's this really interesting study that was done by Harvard a number of years ago, which showed that uh, people that change jobs every sort of three to five years mm. uh, end up earning about double what people that stay in jobs for 10 years plus each time uh, in the long run. And so in terms of the pay cut worry, uh, actually, that goes against what most statistics would say, because if he's especially seeing as he would be staying in the same industry. But I think you're right that people people are afraid of leaving that comfort. And I think as well, it's symptomatic of a bigger issue in terms of the way that I guess the corporate lifestyle plays out in both um, America, I guess Canada as well and the UK, and I've definitely seen this in the two of those three places where I've lived, 
is this idea of corporate loyalty that just really quickly becomes incredibly toxic mm. where workplaces have this tendency to make you feel like you owe them everything for just giving you a chance to basically make them profit. Yes. Yes. I felt that. I felt that um, when I got my first job straight out of university. Um, but it, it could also be the circumstances that were surrounding me at the time. You know, I was sort of, um, you know, new father, just freshly graduated. And I had that sort of pressure to, to get a job and, and, um, you know, provide from, for my family and, you know, pay the bills. So there's that sort of, um, that feeling there, which sort of drives you to, okay, I have to be good to this company. That's, yeah. that's from, from my experience, but I quickly sh- shook that off. Um, I think four or five months was when I, when I shifted yeah. because my priorities and we've discussed this before is, is having to, uh, you know, spend time with, with my family, with my daughter, you know, she's my number one priority. And, um, that sort of drove me to make those decisions regardless of, uh, you know, what, whatever the corporate culture was. Um, and eventually uh, I, I quit my second job too at RBC because I didn't really feel, uh, feel good working there. I didn't feel, um, good talking to people who were higher up, who worked there for five to 10 years, seeing how much they were making, seeing, uh, what type of work they were doing. It just didn't really appeal to me. So, um, yeah, I left that job too. And I didn't really have a plan. (laughs) I, um, I, I think I spoke to a client once who was making a lot of money. So you get to see people's accounts and what they're doing. And I asked, sort of just asked them in the conversation what they were doing. And they were doing, um, drop shipping, uh, a drop shipping business selling, um, selling and buying products basically. So that kind of got me interested. So I started that when I, when I quit, I did that for a bit, I think six months. Um, I started out with a, with another colleague uh, who was working with me at the RBC at time. It was a partnership. We had a falling out. Um, so that stopped after six months and then, uh, yeah, came another period for me to introspect and figure out what it is that I actually wanted without, uh, jumping into, you know, the next thing right away. Um, and then it just gave me some time to spend some, uh, with my daughter. It was quality time, just watching her grow up and it would give me incredible insights, you know, watching her learn how to, how to uh, crawl, how to walk and how persistent she was and how consistent she was with her effort. And uh, even though she would fall a hundred times, she would get back up and do it. And I, and I thought, you know, I didn't teach her that. <laughs> her mother didn't teach her that she's born with that spirit. Yeah. And that means that I'm born with a similar spirit. So why do I, and why do people that are, that I see around me tend to give up so easily on their goals, dreams, and desires? Um, so that sort of became the catalyst for me to sort of write down these thoughts and insights and finally publish my book. And, um, yeah, so this, this whole thing was just me agreeing with you for the fact that I like diving into things head first without having a proper plan. Mm. Um, and you know what? Life does become more exciting that way. And, uh, I have absolutely no regrets because it has led me to be here having this conversation with you. Yeah. And likewise, I feel like, um, you know, people always wonder, you know, what if, what if it could have been better? Or what if I, what if I would have done something differently? Well, you know, what if it would have been worse? Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's, um, I, I've sometimes said to people when, um, when they start worrying about this sort of thing and it's the, uh, the popularity of this mindset kind of varies, but I, I often say to people, think about it in a sort of cheerful or positive, uh, not, but nihilistic way where it's mm. like the choice you make will be the choice you make. You'll never see what the alternative would have been. So it doesn't matter. Like you can't change your past, but you can affect your future. And there are so many people that get stuck in, oh, what if I would have done this or that? And I, I speak from experience because, um, especially as a kid, my anxiety would often take the form of almost like I've sometimes jokingly referred to it as like time travel paranoia, <laughs> where it's like, oh, I was so close to making the wrong choice. Or like I'd worry about, oh, um, someone would say something like, you know, you'd be in science class and they'd say, oh, you only have one in 40 million chance of being born or something like I can't remember the ex exact statistic. But and then I remember as a kid being like, wow, I was so close to not existing. And it would it would kind of worry me. Um, it doesn't anymore. And it sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud. But so many people carry that sort of mindset into their lives where they they come close to making the wrong decision and it haunts them even mm. if they didn't make the wrong decision mm. and i feel like um a lot of people allow that sort of thing to hold them back because they they worry about whether they made the right decision they worry about whether they will make the right decision and often it leads to option paralysis and people don't realize that not making a decision is a choice in itself you know, you can stand your whole life on a single section of crossroads and just never take a stance. Mm. And you never change the status quo. And it's similar to, um, I'm always a big fan of the phrase that, um, you know, saying that you're not political and being silent on important matters always only helps the oppressors, never the oppressed. Mm. And I think it's the same when we go on to the, the micro level, the, you know, not the societal, but our personal lives. If we choose to do nothing, it will never help us. Right. Yep. I, I agree with that notion. And I have a, like a very recent example of a, a similar mindset and this had to do with the, so we're deciding to sell our home and, Part of uh, that process is uh, basically freshening things up and uh, uh, getting a, a new paint job done. So I was in the process of picking uh, uh, who is going to come and paint our house. So I, I interviewed a, a couple of people and I, I picked one. And um, after I picked uh, this one guy and I started, uh, I started observing this thought process in my head. It's like, it was sort of going like, oh, maybe I should have picked the other guy. He had a team. He is doing every, uh, this other guy that I pick is doing everything by himself. He's going to be much slower. Um, yada, yada, yada. So things were going on and uh, maybe the other guys were going to clean as well. And so just, just a lot of things, right? And then all of a sudden, I sort of stopped that thinking right there. I was like, Moin, you made a decision. You're don't really have any regrets. So if you're worried about cleaning, uh, pick up the broom and start cleaning. <laughs> because yeah. it's, uh, it's the, once you make a decision, it's, it is then your responsibility to make sure that 
you're doing whatever it is that you can to make sure um, you know it works out for you. Because if if um, if you're already in the mindset after you made a decision, oh, I've made the wrong decision, then it's you know more likely not going to work out for you because you've already defeated yourself in your mind. Um, but yeah, that's sort of uh, like an everyday example of how that plays out. Other than uh, you know selecting where to work and uh, other things. Um, I have a question about uh, your your sort of logo. It uh, yeah. it says John Thor, and then the T is sort of I'm not sure it's a hammer or an axe. Yeah. A hammer. It's a hammer. So what is the uh, what is the story behind that? Is it from like Thor, the Marvel Thor, or is something? Uh, yeah. So it's more about Thor in Nordic mythology. So uh, you know, being Nordic myself, I grew up. Um, learning a lot about um, you know Viking times and um, Nordic mythology and like my family and actually my wife's family as well there's a lot of naming conventions from the old gods so you know my middle name is Thor my mom's name is Thoden which has like Thor in the start and it's basically like a woman loved by Thor or that loves Thor my wife's middle name means Valkyrie mm. um, my brother-in-law has uh, two different um, sort of Nordic mythology based names. So it's all around us. And uh, to me, it's, it's not so much that it's a religion to me. It's more that it's, it's just an important part of my culture. And I love the stories around it. I love the inventiveness and actually the messaging in the stories. Um, and I think, you know, people often connected mostly to Marvel or, um, even when they know the know of the stories, they kind of connected to uh, the barbaric depiction in Western media of Vikings. But mm. in reality, there's a lot of um, interesting ways to compare the Nordic mythology and the stories therein with uh, mythologies from elsewhere in the world. Because um, as opposed to a lot of monotheistic um, religions or mythologies. Uh, the Nordic mythology included a lot more um, equality in their messaging. You know, the female characters were strong and powerful. The um, idea of moderation and equality was sort of prevalent in there and was far ahead of its time if you compare it to, um, like I said, some other doctrines of similar times. So it's um, it's important to me for a variety of reasons and admittedly even even aside from all that, I just like the aesthetic of having the T as the hammer. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very appealing looking at it right now. Um, yeah, my, my only, uh, I think, affiliation or the, the way I sort of learned about um, Nordic mythology was through my, my love for, for comics and, and Marvel and all these shows. Um, we did study them in history um, a little bit, but I was always bored uh, in history class. And then the way sort of, um, you know, the comics presented the information that got me more excited, I guess. And that's, uh, yeah. that's how these things sort of stuck with me. But yeah, really cool, uh, really cool uh, middle name. Is it a middle name? That's a middle name, right? Yeah, yeah, it's my middle name. And um, it's funny because actually back home, uh, John Thor as like two names next to each other is amongst the most common that you'd find in uh, in male names. Huh. 
but obviously living in different countries, people haven't usually come across it. But it um, it garners different responses depending on where I am. So, like in in the UK, it's often either oh like Marvel, or some people go oh like you know the uh, the Nordic God of Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was living in Miami, it kind of got oh like Marvel. A couple people asked if it was like the Greek God of Thunder, kind of mixing their mythologies together there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, due to the sort of alt-right movement every now and then i'd get like a borderline or fully sort of neo-nazi inspired rant about how the vikings knew how to keep the bloodline clear which um is worrying uncomfortable (laughs) and uh of course just got me into arguments because i i can't stand that like i'll i'll I'll, yeah i'm not just gonna sit idly by when someone goes into that that rightly so um so what's next for you from from here on now i remember i i remember talking to you before and you said that you had some plans for the future moving maybe to another place yeah so yeah what are you what are you planning for the future so the next step of the way for me um is a bit of a question mark but there are certain things that i'm quite sure on so the question mark will be around Things like um, Syzygy, the AI project that I've been working on with a few people for the last six months. It's something I'm really excited about, but it's also something that takes a lot of time. And especially seeing as we haven't taken in any outside funding, it's, it's something that's, that might remain as a bit of a passion project. But we'll, we'll see what happens with a few things that are turning there. Um, but in terms of that international move you referenced, um, I still have my eyes on Sweden since... Um, ever since that um, discussion that I had with my wife years and years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a variety of reasons, partially because it's um, a great place to raise a family. It's closer to home in terms of um, culture. My brother-in-law is moving there. One of my best friends already lives there. Um, And, you know, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said that Brexit didn't play a part in it. (laughs) Um, The, the overall, like, um, what it's looking like in terms of impact on not just work, but in terms of things like xenophobia and racism, um, just where the country is headed. Uh, you know, I could apply for a settled status by the end of this year, but to be honest, um, I've got basically like I'm, I'm allowed as an Icelandic person to be here till January next year, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm basically planning my my exit before then to be completely honest because even though you know I did mention racism and everything like I f- I'm fully aware that wherever I go in the world I take my white privilege along with me as if it's hand luggage because hmm. um, I can tell you right now that I've I've been an immigrant in three different countries and no one's ever made me feel like one which just proves to me beyond any shadow of a doubt that people saying they don't want immigrants is purely and exclusively racism. Um, mm. So for me, it's not so much that I worry about being discriminated against myself, but I also don't want my tax money basically going into funding people that are okay with fueling the fire of xenophobia, racism, um, economic inequality, misdistribution of wealth. Like it's, it's all heading down a path where, I know 
it's going to be in disagreement to my own core beliefs. Mm -hmm. And as much as it could be something, it, it is something worth fighting for. Honestly, it's, it's not necessarily my fight to take. It's at the end of the day, they've made it very clear that it's not my country after all. So I, I might move somewhere <laughs> where I'm more welcome. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Uh, all the best to you for your, for your move to Sweden. And, um, And I guess it's uh, I guess it will be a a better place for you to you know raise raise your kids if you decide to have them when you're there. Um, not that I've ever been to Sweden, but uh, it's it's sounding like a really good place. Only one way to find out whether it's the right one. It's uh, diving head in, as we talked about. <laughs> uh, yep. So you're I guess you're you're leaving uh, the UK pretty soon. Uh, maybe probably. Less than a year, I guess. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see the um see the timelines pan out um the way they do. It's um I haven't got any firm plans. It's more sort of I'm looking around, seeing what what um what the next steps will be. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um uh, um you you spoke a little about about uh, I guess having a passion uh, or a passion project uh, just earlier. Um, so what would you say to, to someone who's probably listening to this and who wants, uh, who wants to deviate away from the conventional nine to five and they probably do have an interest in something, but they're, they're afraid to take, uh, or like we discussed, they're afraid to dive in head first. Mm. Um, what are the sort of the barriers, um, uh, Well, that you sort of faced when doing it, if you had any, and you know, what sort of advice uh, could you give to someone in that situation? Um, I think you know a couple of the things I'd say is first of all, if if there is a passion that you have for doing something that is a viable career choice, even if it is from a self-employed perspective, mm -hmm. find someone who's already doing it, mm. or not just somebody, find several people because you'll probably need to speak to a few before you get someone who's willing to spend some time with you. Find a mentor, find a coach, find even if it's just someone who's willing to meet you for lunch and just give you a couple of hints because usually if people are super successful at what they do, they tend to be more than happy to give you a bit of a leg up and point you in the right direction. Mm. And I'd say know what you're looking for from it because I see a lot of people saying, oh, you know, I want to run my own company or I want to be an entrepreneur. And very often when I ask why, it's something like, I just don't want to work nine to five. Mm. And even though, yeah, I'll admit there are very few days I work from nine to five, but there are days where I might work from 10 to 10 or from six in the morning till six in the evening or 10 in the evening. There are days where I work less, sure, but it's, it's definitely not a, a solution to work less necessarily, but mm -hmm. it's, it does give you that sense of control. Um, I'd also say figure things out like, um, you know, how comfortable you are with being uncomfortable. It's, Again, massive cliche, but um, like if you do go for it and you don't have massive amounts of savings behind you, mm -hmm. like, you're, you're, you're going to have some uncomfortable situations because if you're relying on two, one, two or three clients to basically pay your rent, mortgage, food, whatever, 
if one of them drops out and you don't have a pipeline full of people, you might come stunningly close to being broke. <laughs> um, and I was speaking to someone about this the other day, and I said the interesting thing about being broke is that the first time it happens, it's terrifying, you feel awful, it's like the end of the world. But the second time you're broke, it's somehow, it's somehow better because you remember that it happened before and you didn't die. Mm. Um, and I'd say, like, it's, it's tough. I'm, I'm never going to tell anyone that um, doing this is easy because it's not. It's hard work and it's stressful. And I, I know that there have been many times where I've thought, did I make a terrible decision by leaving a job with a paycheck to do this? Hmm. And at the same time, I know that if one day I return to regular nine to five work and stay there for a couple of years, there is going to come that time again where I go, ah, I'm going to try the self-employment thing again. It was fun last time <laughs> because I think, what I, I think it is different between people. I don't think it is for everyone, but I think if it is for you, there is that element of just wanting to do it and needing to do it. And in that way, if you fear the financial instability, remember that nothing in life is an absolute. You can do this part-time. You can have a side hustle that you do in evenings and weekends. You can have a part-time job that covers most of your essentials and then have something running on the side and you can bounce back and forth. There's no shame in doing something part-time, even though I know there are some prominent figures in the entrepreneur community, people like um, Gary Vee, some of the people from Shark Tank that will call you a wantrepreneur or not a purebred or something. Mm. But that's just not a narrative that I subscribe to. Like if, if you find a way to just be happy, to just feel good about what you're doing, and I don't mean feeling happy all the time because that's uh, it's not really a, yeah it's not really possible. But what I mean is, if you find the balance that helps you lead the life that you want, like don't let anyone tell you that it's the wrong way. I I like that narrative, and um, for me personally, my 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 thing is that since I I discovered what what I'm passionate about. It's sort of, um, I don't mind the work. And it's not that 100% of the work is, uh, I like it. It's maybe 80 to 90% I like it. And that for me is good enough. And, and you know, for me, when, I, when I'm doing this compared to when I was doing my, my other jobs, um, I was always looking at the clock, you know, wanting to get back home yeah. as fast as I could. But when I'm doing where, where I'm at now, I don't worry about the time as much. I mean, I still organize and schedule, but for me, time when when time is flying and I actually want to be at at work, it's uh, it's a really good indicator for me that this is something that I do really want to make a career out of, because this is something I haven't felt, uh, you know, ever uh, in my life, and so for me, this is something for me to hold on to. And if, if, if you're listening and, and, you, and you have something that is similar, then I would suggest, uh, you know, give it a go, go for it. And, um, you know, like you said, talk to other people who are doing this, 
talk to a bunch of them, uh, get a mentor, get a coach. I certainly have those on my journey and they, they help. It really helps. Um, and again, because you've been um, basically educated to work a nine to five, that's what you've sort of uh, graduated to, you know, coming from culture, coming from family who've also worked conventional, um, uh, conventional jobs and been in the system. Um, you would have to go through a phase of, you know, learning new things and unlearning old things. And that's where the mentors and the coaches and the people who are already doing this, they come from. They're there to sort of teach you and uh, help you on your path. And at the end of the day, whatever path you take, it's going to be uniquely yours. It's not going to be, it may be similar to, uh, you know, person X, Y, or Z, but right down to the very core of it, the experience is going to be uniquely yours. And for me, uh, where I'm at right now, I treasure my experience. There have been uh, good months, bad months, good weeks, bad, bad weeks, bad days. But I always come back to how it makes me feel and where I was in the beginning. And, and the hard times, I always look back to the hardest times in my life that I faced. And, and again, I, I look back at it and said, hey, I went through that and I'm still here and I'm fine. So maybe this isn't so bad. Mm um so yeah that's basically my 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 two cents on that um so yeah thank you for for sharing uh that message i want to thank you for being on the podcast um we've uh i think gone over maybe maybe gone over a little bit so if you if you had commitments uh, i apologize that we went over um no problem at all I, I i tend to for for these sorts of things i tend to keep a little bit of extra time afterwards because well, they tend to overrun at least a little bit and I'd rather have some time, even if it's just to grab a glass of water or something afterwards. Mm. All right. Um, so yeah, so we'll wrap up now. Um, so before we go, what's one place people can find you, reach out to you, connect, uh, connect with you. Um, yeah. The, the easiest one would probably be LinkedIn. I post videos there every weekday. I'm quite active in commenting and engaging with other people's content. Uh, so that's definitely the number one. I'm starting to try and use Twitter and Instagram a little bit more as well. Um, but LinkedIn is definitely the uh, the main one. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, John, for being on the show. Oh, thank you. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this edition of the Grow With Moon podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to my show so that you don't miss a future episode. Feel free to leave a rating, a comment. If you want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is the Grow With Moon Podcast. Once again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.